Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast presented by Nenny and Associates. I'm your host, Jim Schaefer. Now, if this is your first time tuning in, Nenny and Associates is an executive search firm focused on the building efficiency industry, hence why we named the podcast the way that we did. Simply put, we help our clients find the right talent, and each week we sit down with leaders from the industry to discuss their backgrounds, how they got started, and where they see the industry heading. We also get to know our guests and find out what drives them to be successful. And on today's episode, episode 83, we sit down with Fred Ventresca. Fred and I have known each other for a long time, so it was a lot of fun to reconnect, hear about his background, his career history, and and really what he's up to today at Mitsubishi HC Capital. Fred touches on where he sees the industry heading, especially as it relates to renewable energy tax equity. It was an interesting topic, and, and Fred does unpack that a little bit for us. And as usual, here on the Building Efficiency Podcast, we cover some of the most important stuff at the end, and you'll want to stick around to hear about what motivates Fred and how he wants to have an impact on the people he connects with. Now, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to our channel and consider downloading this episode and future episodes. This is really the only way that we can track how many people are listening. So if you're one of the folks who are still streaming the episodes, I urge you to consider hitting that download button instead. And if you enjoy this episode, please share it and leave a five-star review on our page. Now we think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Fred and I, so let's drop in. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast. Today we are sitting down with Fred Ventresca, who is the Director of Structured Finance with Mitsubishi HC Capital. Uh, Fred, you can correct me on that if I didn't get the company right, but um, Fred, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Jen. And not you got it exactly correct. Appreciate it. All right. Very good. Very good. Well, I know you and I have known each other for, uh, you know, well over a decade now and and uh, we originally made uh, made contact, so I'm glad we were able to uh, to make some time and, and bring you on the podcast here. So, Fred, tell us a little bit about uh, your background, where you grew up, and then kind of how you got started in your career. Sure, absolutely, Jim. And I'll, and I'll also mention that you know I, I value the relationship with you and and um, and different companies and different roles, and it's been a, it's been a pleasure to watch you over the decade continue to grow. Um, so yeah, so my background. So I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, and I went to Fairfield University. I went back and got my master's degree as well. Uh, and I joined uh, GE. I was very fortunate to learn join GE Capital uh, just about a year after college. And I spent 18 years there. Um, I had several roles in commercial equipment financing, uh, rising to senior vice president in business development, doing new um, supply chain finance offerings. Uh, what I think is might be unique uh, about my career, Jim, is you know I've, I've worked on about every aspect of a project. So I've had hands-on experience or an ESCO, uh, Schneider Electric, and working on the, you know selling projects, developing them, fixing them when they're wrong, right, getting those things sold and through and approved, and uh, and then monitoring the ongoing uh, M and D. Uh, I've also been in the strategy side, working on the deregulated businesses with Percon Edison and really looking at business strategy, long and long-term and short-term strategy, assessing joint ventures and helping launch new business lines and business, uh, business initiatives. Uh, I also did uh, consulting where I worked with companies helping them build transferable value. So now I'm, a, I'm kind of, a, if you will, the sell side, helping companies, uh, really smaller to medium-sized businesses, uh, build transferable value that they can uh, then someday, you know, maybe cash in on, right, for their business and be a, a good acquisition car- target for either a larger strategic or a, a private equity investor. Um, I've also worked on the buy side and buying and helping integrate companies or consulting companies when they are bringing two or three businesses together in different locations. 
um, and how we can you, uh, integrate that and get the most value for the combined assets of the business. Uh, and then I've worked on financing it. And I've worked on, you know, actually doing helping with the project finance and, uh, and putting the whole thing together and uh, even sometimes helping companies to uh, prepare themselves for that um, financial sale and evaluating a business. Yeah. So before we get into uh, Mitsubishi, I just want to take a step back to, to GE, right? Nearly two decades there. I guess as you look at your time there, Fred, I mean, was there anything that stands out as far as like maybe a great leader that you worked with that you learned something from? You're like, man, I, I remember that one time uh, we did this project and you had some real like seminal moments. You know, what, what kind of comes to mind after almost 20 years there? You know, mostly gratitude. Uh, yeah. We really hit that business at the right time in the right place. And, um, you know, many of the folks that would walk around in your cubicle and say hello, we came into the highest levels of GE, the office of CEO, the chief commercial officer, the entire company, and some other. And, you know, the common thing was just the standards that they set. And I just really enjoyed the expectations every day you came into work was that you were going to work with high integrity and high performance, no questions asked. You're going to trust your teammates. You're going to get it done. If you can't get it done, you're going to be frank about why not. Um, and you're going to make it happen. So I'd say I had just several great mentors and I'm very appreciative. No, that's excellent. That's excellent. Yeah. And I know some of our most recent conversations were when you were running your own consulting business, right? Value creation partner. So um, let's just kind of spend a, a few seconds there. You know, I know that's what you were incorporating and all the experiences that you've had. Cause I would imagine you know, everything that you've gained over the last, you know, 20 plus years between, you know, Con Ed and Schneider and Osram and uh, GE, you know, you're probably utilizing that experience as, as a consultant. So, you know, you did that for what, six years, six and a half years. Was that yeah. right? Yeah, I did. I did. You know, it's interesting that you say that, right? So I worked for a French-owned company. I worked for a German-owned company. I worked yeah. for a Japanese-owned company. I worked for a U.S.-owned company and a utility-owned company. So, you know, I have I had the ability to really um, see a lot of different management strategies and best mm -hmm. practices and learn from each of them and, and take them together. So that was really what was fun about consulting, was really helping to share, if you will, you know, how we still saw value, what we were doing on the buy side. The things yeah. we're trying to create, the problems we're trying to solve, and helping companies maybe understand how to just um, repackage what they have and retarget what they're doing um, in ways that can do things like create a lot of recurring revenue. Um, and what we, what I, you know, the term I use is transferable value. The things that as you walk in as a buyer, right, in the large corporate, you say, here's a well-run business. Here, I'll call it. It can help our business. And here's how we, here's why we, you know, we can pay a lot of money for it. Yeah, and we, uh, we obviously see recurring revenue a lot as far as something that's going to be attractive to a potential buyer. And, you know, I think about, you know, a lot of the work that we do in the HVAC mechanical contracting business, the number one thing that comes up is service contracts, right? Hey, we got to grow our service-based business versus just projects. So with that in mind, Fred, I guess what else kind of comes to mind? Some of the companies that you were consulting with, you know, what other recurring revenue streams were coming up? Yeah. So I think, you know, mostly, uh, you know, I think the, the vision of the business, right, and understanding like the franchise value of a large customer that has multiple locations, right, and, mm -hmm. and recognizing that if you can target and package those and then bundle and add bundled services on. I think everybody, that I, in my experience, most companies have uh, several competing offers. They have limited resources and limited dollars. They have limited talent, and they're trying to make it happen, right? And so the question becomes, well, how do we make this all work? Where do we place our bets? How long do we invest, right? And how do we and how do we assess how it's going? And I think the contextual lens that helped companies the most was really understanding, um, you know, how that value would then transfer on and build in the company, and to really focus on the things that were going to um, have the best evidence of future potential growth. Got it. 
Got it. Okay. All right. So you had a really good run there. Sounds like you had a had a lot of fun along the way. I would imagine, you know, being a being a consultant's kind of like I said, you're getting to use all the experiences that you had, you know, throughout your career and you know, helping consult with these uh with these organizations. So so that brings us to today. You're with you're with Mitsubishi. Uh tell us a little bit about uh the company and just kind of how uh you're going to market today. Sure, absolutely. So Mitsubishi HC Capital is a $85 billion company listed on the Tokyo Stock Exchange. Um, It's a public company, but some of its larger institutional investors, as you may have guessed by the name, include Mitsubishi and the HC for Hitachi, um, among other companies, some well-known energy uh, finance companies, some banks that are well-known in the energy project finance business as well. So in my particular group, I'm in structured finance, and what I'm doing is helping companies really in a project-based business, either finance that first customer and get those programs going or scale the business, um, where they're looking to really um, find an in-between between, you know, kind of bank debt and uh, equity capital uh, mm-hmm. to find a way to grow and leverage. And a lot of times that might be with their customer contracts, as an example, and we can help see the value in some of their larger marquee customers and the contracts that they have. So. Um, we've done a lot of um, what I would say is taking companies from their first finance deal. Um, there's some well-known ones, including ones I can't mention yet um, that are on this pod- that have been on your podcast before several of them. Um, we've really helped them from their emerging stages all the way through their growth stages um, to help them just uh, continue to grow without having to dilute the equity uh, that the ownership team has. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and, and Fred, I think uh, you know our audience would be curious too, like. Who are the, some of the the types of? You know, we talked about the, the types of companies, but um, like the service providers, right? Are we talking about energy retrofit companies, solar companies, renewable energy? You know, just vertical market speaking. You know, where are you seeing some of the activity here today? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Joe. It's a good good question to clarify. So I would say, in, you know, we cover everything, right? So lighting okay. retrofit, energy energy efficiency retrofit. Um, as you know, as a VP at Osram, right, we did lighting and Schneider did energy efficiency, so we know the business well. Um, and we've helped those companies, I think particularly the ones we've aligned with are the ones that have, you know, um, maybe a large customer where they need to grow in multiple locations, um, or they're trying to bundle together solutions and services where there's some intangible, right? So it's not all assets, but it's the value that our customers are receiving and they're getting paid on, right? And so someone understanding their business, we kind of help provide the capital, including during the development phases. Uh, so that they can they can uh, they can go out and uh, continue to grow the franchise and transferable value of business. You know, so the um, on the renewable energy side, like distributed generation behind the meter as well as utility scale, there's just been a ton of activity right now. And folks, um, as you know, with the passing of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, uh, there's a lot of attention on how to you know how to really expand and grow in those areas. So, Fred, are you someone that's read every every word in the uh, IRA document there, and you know it inside and out, and left left uh, left and right? <laughs> well, I definitely wouldn't say that, but I do say that I could be a little dangerous with it. I'm fortunate okay. to have a lot of resources and a good network to educate me on the uh, on the tax side. Okay, so is that where you kind of step in, like put your consultant hat on? I would imagine like you're utilizing, you know, a lot of that experience that you had previously, and kind of advising them on on what to look at and not look at, and hey, here's what the Inflation Reduction Act actually means because there's probably a lot of like just unaware, right? People may not be aware of what it actually means once you actually dig into the the language. Yeah, yeah, I think that's totally true across the industry. And I think, you know, yeah. um, as you start to think about on the renewable energy side, you know, how do we prepare for this day when, you know, you don't need to have a tax base, right? Because they're going to have these tradable tax credits, right? Mm-hmm. Renewable tax credits are going to come out. 
uh, where you're going to have the ability to transfer it from one party to another. And that market is just forming. And there's lots of players out there in the industry trying to find different ways to monetize that. Because I think from a simple basic fact is there's not, if you look at the traditional investors in uh, renewable energy in terms of uh, putting in their, their investment tax credit, the tax appetite, there's simply just not enough tax equity out there to satisfy the demand of all the projects. I've heard, I've heard it being quoted as much as there's four times as much demand as there is um, uh, typical tax, tax equity that's been in the marketplace. Um, and so that's exploding with a way of getting other companies that want to contribute, right, that want to contribute tax credits and want to play in this space. And so there's a lot of companies out there looking at, to attract and grow those companies and bring them forward as potential tax equity investors um, to help um, project developers and businesses have the lowest, uh, you know, the highest return for them as developer and the lowest cost for their customers for projects. So I see that as a pretty big, uh, a pretty big space, but it's not there yet, in my opinion. Yeah, you touched on the tax equity stuff. I'm curious, just broadly speaking, we don't need to get into any specifics here. Um, I start thinking about, you mentioned utility scale projects, you mentioned behind the meter projects. Are you seeing like a higher concentration of, of one versus the other? Is it a 70, 30, 60, 40? What are you seeing as far as just a trend today? In, in terms of the projects behind the meter versus in front of the tax Correct. Projects. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly the utility scale business is, is much larger Right, and it's much more established, and it's been going in. Um, what's happening though is, you know, the distribution is becoming more local, right? And so we're starting to see a lot of what we'd say is combined systems, where it's solar that's paired with wind, uh, as an example, and uh, battery storage as well. You know, I mean, they're trying to find ways to, um, you know, wind is an intermittent resource; the sun can come in and out, and so storage plays a pretty big role. Uh, there's also a ton of investment in green hydrogen. Right, seeing another green and low cost uh, sense, but it's early in its development phases, in my opinion. Um, so on the CNI side, right, which, which I think maybe a lot of listeners are uh, from that side of the sure, state, sure. it's still the same thing, right? It's the largest uh, total available market because there's so many users, but how do you monetize it and kind of recognize that you know, it, it takes the same amount of work to develop a five megawatt project or a one megawatt project as it does a uh, hundred megawatt project. Um, what I am seeing that's different, though, Jim, is I think from an investor uh, situation, when the more you look at um, more folks wanting to play and help invest in this, um, there's more interest there are in, in, in distributed generation, advancing distributed generation projects. So I think developers are going to see more and more capital come to the table. Um, I think one of the concerns, you know, from my perspective, is how well educated are you know these energy efficiency or retrofit companies in terms of really understanding the nuances. Uh, how do you put together a deal that has common equity, tax equity, and leverage, right, or debt um, all together in a project? And how do you know it with certainty, right? So you can go out there and you'll know you have your money at the end and get the project done. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, I'm sure we could talk about this for uh, for a long time. This, this is interesting to me. But Fred, if you hover out, you kind of look at the industry as a whole, you know, where do you see the industry heading the next, let's just say, 10, 15 years? You know, Jim, I really feel like it, you know, the industry has been on a transition in the journey, right, um, to kind of an intelligent two-way grid, right? The grid was built in one direction, right, for power to go out. And now we're mm-hmm. learning, you know, the importance of having that interaction, everything from transactive energy, right, where you're able to buy and sell energy with your neighbor, um, to um, solutions that, that take energy intelligence and software um, and um, different types of products and put them together. So, you know, you hear energy as a service. I believe you're going to see more and more from large OEMs um, that they're going to start not become not just being in the project business, but being in the solutions business, right? Because it is very fragmented right now. There's a lot of 
energy leading products um, out with a lot of uh, that a lot of manufacturers have, but they don't really have that institutional end user knowledge, right? That so many project developers and uh, energy efficiency companies do of how does it all work together and how does it and, and how does it relate to serving the customer. I think the continued marriage of the of the commodity of energy along with the project itself is gonna is gonna um, continue to harness so that um, you know, solution providers include both the commodity and and the product. Um, and the intelligent solutions of the projects, um, you know, sorry, there's too many things here, but the intelligent solutions of the projects were, hey, I happen to have a bunch of products, but it's how they work together and serve you that's important. And we're going to serve you on a platform basis where you're going to be able to, the customer is going to be able to maximize the value of having that, um, that interrelation between all the different equipment and services. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And you can keep this as uh, as broad as you'd like, because we don't want to go too narrow here. But I guess based on what you just said, there, kind of vision casting, you know, where do you see Mitsubishi HC Capital playing into that narrative? Yeah, well, I think we have some unique characteristics on that side, right? We've, we've um, you know, we've uh, have a heritage and have ownership with large equipment manufacturers. Um, we've got a great reputation of, of financing assets. Um, and we have a lot of institutional knowledge of, 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 of the service provider business and project finance and how to put that together. So I think what you'll see from us a lot of times is really being partners with companies and helping them put it all together and scaling the business. A lot more what we call moreness, right, which is um, really not just providing the money, but providing, you know, the partnership and the solution to help implement it and scale it in the most efficient way for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Including uh, customers, right? Because at the end of the day, it's all driven by customers. Got it. Got it. Well, cool. Well, Fred, let's uh, let's transition to the last part of the show here. I'm going to ask you the same four questions I ask every guest that comes on and, and wanted to lead off with. What are your daily non-negotiables? <laughs> daily non-negotiables. Yeah, it's funny because I have four teenagers in a house and a wife, and I don't know, you know, I don't know if they probably have them for me. But no, what I would say, honestly, is, is, is for me, it's, you know, every day, like the center of our family and our life is our faith. And and with that faith, when we go to work and, and how I go to work and treat people is, you know, absolutely every day is trying to make a difference for other people. And uh, and we're not compromising integrity in any way. And uh, let's rewind the clock to uh, to 22-year-old Fred. You're coming out of uh, Fairfield University, I would imagine. Uh, what what yeah. advice would you give to yourself then? <laughs> you know, grow up, right? <laughs> uh, no, for me, I mean, honestly, I landed in a really great place. But what I did learn is the importance of having a mentor, both inside and outside of your company. Uh, that your Rolodex is your life. It is the best thing you can do to monetize it. So continue to nurture those relationships, even as you may change companies or your positions change, you know, stay in touch with that. And then the third is, you know, don't rely solely on income, right? Um, your salary is being the only way to provide for yourself and the things you want to do. Look for your own recurring revenue, you know, in your own life so that, you know, as you kind of your career progresses and maybe your needs and wants change, you've provided yourself with different sort, sources of income to uh, sustain yourself and allow you to achieve your goals. And what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? You know, really to make an impact in people's lives, you know, it really makes me feel great um, to be able to just look back at this. A lot of folks I've had the pleasure, like great talent that I've been able to, to help maybe develop and watch them grow in their careers and see them make a difference in other people's lives and um, and really kind of break down the barriers of authentic living um, where you can just live your life and be genuine and who you are at home is who you are at work. They don't need to be separate worlds. And you can learn just to exist in both worlds together and promote the things that are important to you and the relationships and the ways that those relationships are important to you. And last question here, Fred, what do you want your lasting legacy to be? 
you know, uh, hopefully that I made an impact on others and, uh, you know, I helped them, you know, uh, really uh, not only be able to develop themselves and be open to new things, but also to help other people so that they, they, they really can uh, be proud of their contributions at the end of their careers as well as mine. Well, I think that's a perfect way to, to wrap up the show here, Fred. So thanks for being a guest on the Building Efficiency Podcast. Thanks, Jim. My pleasure. All right. All right, there you have it, episode 83 with Fred Ventruska. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcast. Now, we hope that you're sharing this with your friends and colleagues as well. And one last thing, if you have any future guests in mind from the industry, please reach out to me. We'd love to hear from you loyal listeners. So until next time, I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.